Welcome to The Real Birth Podcast, the show where real parents share real birth stories and get really honest about how it went. You might be a first-time expectant parent, or on your eighth baby. Perhaps you're a birth worker, or maybe you just love learning about birth. Whoever you are, you are welcome here. This podcast aims to educate and empower listeners through the real stories of mums and dads. I'm Lucy Hill. I'm a doula, a mum of a toddler, and a complete birth nerd. Join me as I invite all kinds of parents to share their stories of pregnancy, birth, and beyond. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome back to The Real Birth Podcast. We are here with you today starting season three, which is absolutely incredible and I honestly cannot believe that this is happening. So thank you so much for joining me again today. There was a slightly longer gap than expected between season two and three for a few reasons. Life was incredibly busy and it turns out having a three-year-old is pretty tricky. (laughs) Um, Some of you also were incredibly kind. My husband and I experienced a pregnancy loss when I was about 11 and a half weeks pregnant and that was earlier in the year. So I did post about that on Instagram and you were just so lovely giving your thoughts and love. So I really, really appreciated that. But yeah, that also kind of fed into the slightly longer gap. It felt a bit tricky to be kind of in that space at that time. But yeah, so I'm just so happy to be back now. And again, I also posted on Instagram recently that, yeah, we are really surprised and delighted that we are expecting again. So that pregnancy happened actually almost immediately after our loss, which... I was just incredibly surprised and pleased about but yeah it's all been a bit of a whirlwind so we are yeah expecting baby two in spring so I will keep you posted with that but until then I will be sharing other people's fantastic birth stories and uh, yeah you can expect hopefully my second birth story uh, sometime uh, sort of part way through next year. This season, I am so excited to be working with my first ever sponsor, Bridge House Pilates. Bridge House Pilates was founded by Megan, who is a Texan-born pregnancy, postnatal and lower back pain specialist Pilates teacher, now living in Somerset. Megan is a fan of the show. She reached out to see whether my listeners might be interested in a special discount for her brand new postnatal Pilates course. So we met for coffee, we chatted for ages, and now I'm really, really thrilled to be able to bring you guys 20% off the Bridge House Pilates postnatal Pilates course, which is entirely online. Thinking about moving your body after having a baby can be daunting, not least because you somehow need to get yourself dressed and out of the house. But Bridge House Pilates' new online on-demand postnatal course can be enjoyed at any time from the comfort of your own home. The course is flexible, it's bite-sized and it's perfectly suited to the chaos of new parenthood. Weekly sessions focus on relaxation, building core strength, healing your pelvic floor and addressing common muscular issues such as diastasis recti and back pain. The course is designed with busy new mums in mind. The platform will even track your progress if you get stopped partway through a video. Signing up also grants you lifetime access to all the course material so you can return to your workouts whenever you need to, even if you go on to have more pregnancies in future. To find out more about Bridge House Pilates course and to benefit from our exclusive sponsorship discount, just go to courses.bridgehousepilates.com forward slash postnatal dash course and you can enter the code REALBIRTH20 for 20% off. 
or you can check the show notes page or our social media where I will also be sharing those links. To kick off our third season, I actually interviewed my wonderful friend Emma. Emma was actually a friend of my husband's from their college days, which was about 20 years ago now, but she quickly became just as much of a friend to me when we first met each other about nine years ago. I've known Emma through her journey of trying to conceive her son, through his pregnancy, and also through her birth and immediately afterwards, so it is so special to be telling her story and also we see each other fairly regularly and it's just so nice to see our boys playing together too. Emma's path to motherhood wasn't always straightforward. She and her partner at the time experienced some fertility struggles and Emma had some previous medical history which meant that she needed to have a cervical stitch placed which would prevent her baby from being born too soon. I know that by the time you've got a few minutes into the episode, you will absolutely understand why. She is such a good friend of mine. We can pretty much just laugh through anything. I really hope you enjoy listening to her story. Here she is to tell it. Welcome to the podcast, Emma. Thank you so much for coming on. It's lovely to have you here. Obviously, we've known each other for a bazillion years, so it's not like I'm going to say nice to meet you. But um, thank you very much for coming on. Before we start, could you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and who's in your family? So I'm Emma. I'm a teacher, single parent uh, to Ren, who is now six, which feels crazy because you were there when I got pregnant and stuff. (laughs) That sounds terrible. (laughs) No, okay. You were not in the room when I got pregnant, but you were there through my whole pregnancy. Yeah, I was from from a reasonable and safe distance legally. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, yeah. It was all above board Um, as a friend. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no active participation in the pregnancy, the making of Red. No. Um, there during the, the time of being pregnant. You don't really ever tell like your full, full birth story, do you? You just no. sort of say, oh, yeah, it was like this or this is what happened. But so rare that you go into all the details, like even with your friends. Oh, yeah. Like I've talked to my students more about my birth story than friends, like told yeah. it as a as a thing. And it amazes me still the amount of students that are interested in birth. Mm as teenagers and then they ask you about it I feel like I've told my birth story and strangely to teenagers (laughs) I think that's great though yeah but they find it strangely fascinating and I think like I wish my teacher had talked to me about that kind of stuff yeah like there's someone that would potentially go on and have a child later on and we Mm. don't talk about those things with with the youth no I think actually you're more likely to talk about it in a obviously age appropriate way with very young children about Uh you know how babies are made and you know when when there comes that time and then with adults but I just feel like we shy away with it from it with teenagers in the sort of oh if I tell you you'll all go and have teenage pregnancies um you know but actually Um, they're just super curious about how it all works yeah and it's really nice it made an impact on them hopefully in a positive way none of them seem to be horribly terrified by the idea of having children when you got pregnant with Ren how was that process towards getting pregnant and was it a really intentional decision and was it simple or was it more complicated than that 
it was definitely an intentional decision. Like we had decided we wanted to have a child and thought it would be a really straightforward process. Like you spend your life trying not to get pregnant Mm. until you want to be pregnant. I never had an actual scare with pregnancy or anything like that. I was always on some kind of contraceptive and then thought, well, I'll just come off this and we'll try and it'll happen because that's what you're told happens when you have unprotected sex. Mm -hmm. And it didn't at all. And a year into trying, we decided to go to the, the GP. Well, I went to the GP to talk about what are the options, like why is this not happening? Because as far as I was concerned, my periods were very regular. I was a little bit older. Um, Ren's dad, about seven years younger, so we were both fit and healthy. And so he went for testing. He was absolutely fine. So it was like on me to have more Mm. tests and had a lot of blood tests, a lot of borderline. We don't know. Are you ovulating? Are you not ovulating? Like, we don't know why you aren't getting pregnant. And I was referred to kind of the fertility clinic who were also not sure. So I had internal kind of scans to check everything. I had had a colposcopy back in kind of like 2008, I think. So that's a process when you've had some abnormal smear cells, isn't it? Yeah. And and they will take some tissue away. Yeah. So I'd had a few abnormal smears and was always on like a six monthly recall. So Mm. they were always very on it. And I had a colposcopy after another set of abnormal smears after kind of like three abnormal smears. Um, And they took a, they said a palm size sample of cells wow. away, which is a lot, I suppose. And it felt like a quite traumatic experience. But I didn't ever kind of think, oh, this will affect my fertility later. And I'm sure probably somewhere along the line they said it might. Right. But, but you don't remember that. <laughs> no, no. And we started trying in 2014. Mm. So it was a long time afterwards. It was... Then there was talk of me being polycystic, so I had scans for that, but no real reason to think I was actually polycystic, although I did have some symptoms, like classic symptoms Mm. of that. And I even had, um, I can't remember the exact term, but I had essentially an x-ray on my fallopian tubes um, to make sure there was no blockages, no cysts, and everything always came back completely fine. So it was just a case of, well, keep trying. so frustrating. Um, yeah, and 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 then it got to the point that it became less fun. So we didn't try as much, and they were they were saying we should try every other day, and and this that, and the other, and that that isn't you can't night. do that. <laughs> no, it's a forced encounter, as it were. We kind of just went, you know what, this may or may not happen, and we actually ended up buying a house that needed complete and utter renovation. It was derelict. We couldn't even live in it while we were doing it up. We had too many things to move in with parents. So we moved in with friends. And this is in the kind of the second year of of trying. And we just went, you know what, sod it. Like, it doesn't even matter. Mm. It's not going to happen. You've got to keep living. Yeah, let's, let's do the house. So it was about, it was about a week before my birthday. And we'd gone into town and I just felt weird. I can't even explain it now what that feeling was. But I said to Jack, I'm going to buy a pregnancy test. And he was like, do you think you are? And I was like, don't know. I've just 
yeah got this feeling and we'd all we'd moved into the house we'd been renovating it we'd had to move in um friends we'd outstayed our welcome a little bit literally plastered walls no skirting we had a plumbed in toilet and a sink that's it that'll do yeah and it was like that's enough like we've got we had a bit of a kitchen and I did the pregnancy test and it was the strongest two lines I've ever seen on a pregnancy (laughs) test in my life and were you like thinking that you were late for your period or anything at that point no I'd done it before I was due I just felt weird felt this sensation of I think I need to do a pregnancy test and I couldn't even tell you whether we'd had sex yeah I mean (laughs) you know I mean you probably did we definitely did (laughs) because I mean but of lives we were were just renovating and stuff like I can't even remember as trying or any particular you know like we'd just completely given up on the trying aspect of Mm. it and just thought you know what sod it we'll just live live our lives and get this house done and yeah November end of November 2015 I was like yeah something just feels funny like my stomach felt heavy if that makes sense (laughs) whether anyone's ever felt that sensation of thought, I must be pregnant. Um, I don't know. But yeah. And then it was it was a shock. Like we've been trying for two years, but we were still both like, we didn't talk for two days. <laughs> uh, I think his response was, who did this to you? <laughs> and I was like, pretty sure it was you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, then we didn't like talk for two days, really. We just existed and we were like, okay so so this is a this thing happening then and we live in a, a shell of a house oh god um suppose we should do something about this so how did the rest of your pregnancy go like once you'd realized that it was happening and obviously you lived in the, the house the shell house it, it didn't it didn't stay a shell for very long we went yeah. into like overdrive on paper my pregnancy was incredibly complicated in real life, I bloody loved it. That's so great. Like I, I loved being pregnant. I would be pregnant a thousand. I, I don't. I want no more kids. But I would be pregnant a thousand times over if every one of my pregnancies was going to be like that. Like I absolutely adored being pregnant. So and how was a, the, the first trimester? Did you have? Did you feel rubbish? I was tired, yeah. really, really tired, and all I wanted in the world was carbs. I wanted plain pasta with salt. Mm. I wanted all the salt in the world. And I drank all the milk that I could ever get my hands on. <laughs> like calcium and salty plain carbs was like my life. McDonald's chicken nuggets were the one. Yeah, like that's salty carb, isn't it? Oh, my God. Like... It was beautiful. And also incredibly bloated. I had to start wearing kind of maternity stuff at like seven weeks or yeah. something. And I had to tell work really early because I looked pregnant people would have asked and being in my work and in round kids who say everything they want to say whenever they want to say it I'd already been asked several times in my life whether I was pregnant or not and not been yeah which is glorious as a woman isn't it yeah yeah um but so very early on kind of I told people yeah I was gonna say how did you feel about that because obviously there's that whole I think it was very much a cultural thing about waiting, isn't it? But did you ever worry that you tell people and something might go wrong or did it just kind of feel like, well, 
it is what it is and I'm telling people either way yeah yeah and I told people and people were shocked when I said like look I'm only like technically seven weeks or eight weeks we'd had an early scan at seven weeks to because I didn't actually believe it was real yeah and I think that's part of the um like the two years of trying like I almost felt like I was being like pranked Mm. so we paid for an early scan and there was very much a heartbeat and a tiny little dot yeah on the screen but I told people because I just thought actually the people if something does go wrong, if this doesn't happen for us, they're there to support me and they know why they're supporting me rather than potentially going through something and then having to tell them what I'm going yeah. through, having them not known. I felt good about that decision. It was it was what it was and I thought I'm going to tell people like regardless and think you need the most support in that time as well like because you are yeah. you cannot get away with it. You're just so right gross and it's it's scary you've been trying for two years and then you get pregnant and then you're like oh my god I've got to stay pregnant now Mm. and actually that's a massive thing I had had in the past what they considered a chemical pregnancy which I didn't really get at Mm. the time like it just kind of let it pass me by and it was probably maybe a year into trying before we'd kind of gone through any fertility clinic stuff I mean the thing I did miss out when I'd actually been on Clomid in the the three months before I got pregnant they'd said I could have three months of Clomid to hopefully help me produce more eggs or ovulate more and that would be my last thing and then it'd be IVF right Um, and we're in the last month of that Clomid and it hadn't been happening and we've been doing the house and I just thought okay what whatever Mm. and I'd had scans and it said the Clomid was working there was definitely more like I was definitely releasing eggs and yeah this that, and the other and people knew about the fact that we were trying I'd been very open yeah with the whole process because I think it's something that I never got spoken to about no one that I'd known even though I knew people that had had children and had been trying no one really ever openly spoke about their problems with conceiving mm. and so I and I'm always I'm an oversharer regardless doesn't matter what so people ask I would be like yeah this is what we've been doing this is what's happening I think people are really quick to also say like oh do you think you might have kids then like as if it Mm -hmm. just happens and actually if from the get-go you're the one that's like owning that conversation then people don't ask silly questions anymore because I think you've you've allowed them to think oh maybe people are struggling a little bit how was the remainder of your pregnancy and particularly those kind of last few weeks? I got to about 13 weeks and started getting loads of um, appointments sent to me to go to the hospital for different things. I'd had my normal scan, my normal 12-week scan. I'd had my blood tests for kind of testing everything was fine. And then I had these other appointments come through that were for maternal medicine. I had a premature prevention clinic appointment I just thought it's my first pregnancy oh everyone gets these right so I just turned up like booked my time off work and went I didn't even take Ren's dad with me I didn't take Jack because I was just like these must be normal like just check up kind of things turns out they're not no so (laughs) Um, why were you getting these appointments because of my colposcopy okay so apparently in my notes somewhere I had been put down as high risk of uh, premature labour. Okay, and is that because uh, that you... procedure like weakens your cervix? 
Yes. So apparently I have an incompetent cervix. That's, That's nice, the nicely worded, isn't it? Yeah. So like I, I turned up to this premature prevention clinic and booked in and I was like, can you just tell me why I'm here? Because I don't really know. And <laughs> the poor nurse was like, well, you, you weren't told you were referred to this. And I was like, no. She was like, well, well, because of your history, because you've had this, blah, 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 we now need to see you every three weeks. Um, and we're going to do internal scans. And they love to test your urine. Like, they yeah. just love it. Like, during my pregnancy, I always had, like, a little pot of urine somewhere on me. Yeah. Like, on my person. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it was just like, I had to take that everywhere with me. And because I had so many appointments, it felt like it was just constantly on me. Like, um, <laughs> so, I turned up and did all the pleasantries. And I don't know if anyone has ever been to one of these. And I don't know if it's specific to my area, the, the management of these clinics. But you turn up, you wait, you go in and see a nurse. They then check your urine, weigh you, talk to you, tell you, or do your blood pressure and all of that. And then they send you back out into the waiting room with a sheet. And then they go, the next person, they're going to call you in again and they'll do your, your scan, like your internal scan and check everything. But you need to keep the sheet with you because you're going to need to undress and move yeah. rooms. I was there for three hours on this first appointment with no idea what was happening having just been told why I was there, that my pregnancy was high risk, that I potentially could go into preterm labour or miscarry late. And I'm sitting there on my own, not having taken my partner with me because I thought this was a normal... In and out. <laughs> in and out appointment where they were just... It was a, a typical clinic because that's what you do. Mm. And then I was told my cervix was incompetent as we know but it was half the length that it should be and that actually in two days I was going to need to have a cervical suture put in I bet you just absolutely I, I was yourself like like I was just like okay you need to explain what that is and what do you mean in two days so you like, well, 13 weeks at this point 13 weeks okay yeah, 13 weeks going just about to be 14 weeks. And they were like, if we leave it any longer, you could miscarry. It's your choice, but this is what we're advising. So I'm like, crapping myself. I'm ringing Ren's dad. I'm ringing work. So I've got to be off work for three weeks now because I'm going in for surgery in two days. And I've got to have a full spinal block and have this suture put in. And then I, I'm not, I've got to rest for three weeks because it could tear or this could happen and and I'm a teacher I had to plan every lesson for three weeks and had you had a bit more information about the fact that you were going to be referred for this and this was likely to happen would you have had the information to be able to plan that properly oh yeah definitely yeah, yeah. oh that's like, just so rubbish like like I'd, I'd never heard of it like I had many midwife appointments where they could have mentioned this could be a possibility because you have had a colposcopy we are referring you to the yes. premature prevention clinic and these are the typical things that happen yeah and yeah then I would have been like okay I can choose to read about this or at least I know that this is a possibility yeah I can allow work to know I can take Jack with me mm. or someone with me to be a support at this appointment so that because all this information was coming at me I felt blindsided yeah I was like and they all assume you know so the information they're giving you is just like really off the cuff it's not yeah 
And I had to explain to probably three separate people, like, I didn't know I was coming to this clinic. I didn't know I was high risk of, yeah, of, of term labor or anything. Like, I thought this was a standard, very normal pregnancy. And like I said, on paper, it was mental. And I had to keep going back. So, yeah, so they tell me this. I'm then booked in for my surgery. Uh, two days later, they're giving me all the washes and stuff to, like, decontaminate and blah, 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 and I have to go early and I go to the maternity ward and I'm there with everyone that's expecting to have their C-sections that day. And they're all looking at me and I've got this little bump and, you know, as people do, oh, you're, you're really small. I'm like, I'm only 14 weeks. Yeah. And they were all like, oh. Why are you like, here? <laughs> yeah, like, how do you think, like, what else do I like no one then wanted to ask any questions yeah yeah and everyone else is like they're all sat there with their partners and they've got their little baby hats because very strangely the midwives came around and said you got your hat <laughs> and I remember thinking like what because <laughs> I'm 14 weeks I'm like I'm not even I've not even contemplated giving birth yet yeah like I've not even thought about the labor part and I'm like why is it like my mum's with me because Jack couldn't get the time off work yeah so my mum's there and I'm not allowed to eat so she's sitting there eating loads of chocolate bars and drinking tea and I'm like mate like <laughs> I'm dying I'm starving <laughs> like stop <laughs> um yeah and everyone's going around asking about the hats and I'm like saying to my mum like why is everyone asking about hats like why did you have hats like you've thrown in the deep end of like yeah medical birthday aren't you I'm there they're then measuring me for my compression socks and explaining that I'm going to go in and have a full spinal block and they're going to put a suture in and then I'm going to be in for a little bit because I've obviously got to wait for it to wear off and make sure Mm. um, I've been for a wee and stuff up and about you have to do like a litre of some of wee or something to make sure you've got no blockages, no infections, nothing's mm-hmm. they've not nicked anything when they're doing it. And I had it done, it was fine. I was terrified, mm-hmm. like I've never had a spinal block, I've never had anything like that in my life. And then I'm there in stirrups with my spinal block, and a, a woman appears at the end. She's like, I've not seen you since school. <gasps> and I'm like, No, like. And I'm like, why are you that end of me? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah. Oh my God, that's so awkward. So somebody somebody you'd been to school with was the surgeon? No, she was like one of the midwives helping. Oh my God. Like, and there was literally so many people in that room. And did she say that while she was literally stood at the wrong end? Yeah, yeah. So she was stood the end. Like I'd just been putting stirrups. They're just checking that I'm all numb. Like, can you feel this? Can you feel this? And then she just appears from nowhere. Like she popped up between your legs. Like, hello. Yeah, essentially, she may as well have done. Like, like she'd been hidden under the bed or something. I don't know. And then I was like, yeah, should we catch up later? (laughs) Like, but it was fine, was it? Like actually having it done. Yeah, like, I was completely numb, so, like, but they forgot to put, like, the curtain thing up. So you could see everything. So I could see everything, and it took a lot longer than they thought it was going to take. And there's probably about, I reckon, ten people in that room. Mm. 
some people like next to my head just chatting to me like to talk me through taking my pulse and and making sure I'm all right matey from school down the bottom end doing something <laughs> and the surgeon and then they were like oh should we put a should we put a curtain up <laughs> and then like that starts getting splashed with blood and stuff and oh, I'm God. like that so then like I'm trying to really zone into this this woman talking to me. Yeah. Because I'm like, okay, now I'm starting to feel a little bit nervous because this is taking longer than they said it would take. Yeah. And did and... they talk to you about the risks of the procedure in itself? Yeah, they talked about the fact that I could still go into preterm labour, but if I did, I, I needed to, to get there quick because they've got to take that suture out. Yeah because that's that's just going to tear open yeah if I'm not careful and they talked about having to have it out at 36 weeks because I'd be considered pretty much full term less of a risk if I went into 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 labor then it would it wouldn't be a problem and they were very adamant that I would go into labor within a day or two of having that stitch out that's always been my understanding is they're quite keen to say all right we're going to take the stitch out and then because you've got such an incompetent cervix once that stitch is out, it's basically fair game and, and it's coming. So I was like prepping myself for, I'm going to have this baby at 36 weeks. Yeah. Sod only predicted due date. This is happening at 36 weeks. Mm. So I've not got as long as potentially I could have. Yeah. So it was like a minefield just going into overdrive. Like, what do I want for my my birth? Like, what? Like I've got to start thinking about this stuff because mm. this is happening in like 23 weeks yeah I mean I came I came out of the surgery and then put in in the recovery bay and then all these women that have been sat in the kind of the waiting room with and others that have obviously come in for an emergency c-section or or whatever coming in and they've got their babies and the amount of looks of sympathy I got because I was not there with a baby god if this if this had been my labor but these women felt awful for me mm-hmm. and I had to explain to them I was like no I'm, I'm just here for a procedure by the way congratulations mm-hmm. like because I saw their looks and I thought mm-hmm. I do not want them to think that they cannot celebrate this time yeah and feel awful because they might be rubbing it in the face of someone that has lost their child yeah I mean I was obviously fine so I I, I, felt I was confident enough to be like honestly don't worry. Right. Yeah, I'm good. Don't worry. I'm here. I just got myself a stitch. You know, yeah. I'm all sewn up. This one's staying in for a while. And then I was put on like a normal ward rather than the maternity ward and, and stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, went home and sat around for three weeks in a house that needed everything in the world doing to it. Oh, thinking. Relaxing. I can't really do anything. I've not really got a sofa or anything nice to lay on. I didn't have curtains. I had bits of sheet up at the window <laughs> and stuff. And went back to work and everyone treated me like I was some kind of invalid. Like I couldn't do anything for myself because now my pregnancy is high risk. So the rest of my pregnancy was a lot of going back to the hospital a lot. I was B-strep positive as well. That had come up in one of my many urine samples. So I then had to have meetings with clinics about during my labor I would be on antibiotics mm-hmm. I would be on a drip I would have to have these antibiotics and it's really funny with um with group b strep because it's a, it's a transient uh bacteria yeah it comes, 
it comes and goes. So you can be positive when you get tested, whatever, and then you can be negative the day before you give birth, but they don't retest you. <laughs> no, so they just treat you like you're going to be yeah. positive. And actually and the, the future implications of just bulk giving people antibiotics is probably not great if you're not if they're not needed it's a really no. funny one group b yeah yeah but anyway so like but then they terrified me with that they were like if you don't have these antibiotics your baby could die but mm. literally said those words to me and i was like okay well yeah of course i'll have them so yeah so like the rest of my pregnancy was a lot of in and out of hospital mm. and then yeah 36 weeks came and it was a very normal pregnancy other than that like i loved it I loved having a belly and not having to suck it in. Yeah. And being all pregnant, loved it. But yeah, so went back in at 36 weeks, had my stitch out. And were you expecting your baby just to fall out, basically? Essentially, because that's what they told me would happen. Like I was expecting, like, I'll stand up and tomorrow I'll have a baby. And work made me finish immediately because I was too high risk. I could go into labour at work, like in front of a class, if you imagine. Like my water's my breath. (laughs) Like... So I finished at 36 weeks, five, like five weeks before he actually came. Oh, so five weeks you know, of thinking it's going to happen any day. Yep. That's and torture. It, yeah, he was a week late. I had a sweep because I was over it. Well, at that point, you've mentally committed to having a baby like four weeks ago. So you're not like just a bit over what they estimate. You're like so far over what you thought that you're done, yeah. like emotionally. Yeah. So I'm I'm like, it's the due date, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen by the due date. It'll be fine. Like this was supposed to happen weeks ago. Like, <laughs> but this is not happening. Like, there is not even a twinge that this might happen. Like he is getting bigger and bigger. And so I'm starting to like now resent the fact that I'm pregnant because I should have had a baby by now. I should not be dealing with this in July and August when it is hotter than the sun. Yeah. And I am very pregnant. And <laughs> <laughs> like, and we have rushed to get this house done and we didn't need to. <laughs> like, and I'm, I'm mad about everything at this point because I'm also mad about the fact that I've finished work and all of yeah. my maternity pay has now gone. Yeah. And I and as a teacher, I would have been off work. Yeah. I was made to finish two weeks before the end of term. I would have just been on summer holidays. Got to 40 weeks and one day and I had my appointment with the community midwife and they asked me if I wanted to have any intervention and I was like yeah why not I'll have a sweep and I remember that sweep being just the most awkward thing in the world like she stared me in the eyes the whole time (laughs) and And I was like please tell me it wasn't somebody you like went to school with (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, this was not that girl. Thank God. Oh, can you imagine? Same girl. Like, no. hi again. <laughs> no, okay. But she stared me in the eyes while she did it. And, yeah, it was like, I hate to be uh, crass, mm. like the most awkward fingering I've ever had. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was so weird. Was it was it uncomfortable or painful? Or... Not at all. No. Well, that's us- that's usually a good sign, though, that, that you're well, she, on the way. She was like, I'm going to... She was like... I'm just going to have to be really careful not to break your waters because you're about three centimetres dilated. Oh, wow. She was like, you sure you're not in labour? <laughs> and I was like, I'm pretty sure unless labour's completely painless and nothing nothing different from how it's been the whole of my pregnancy. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm not in labour, but I don't know. You tell me. Like, mm-hmm. I'm new to this. Maybe I am. 
who knows like so she then gave me this false sense of security that I must be maybe in labor yeah. but this is gonna happen and it didn't yeah <laughs> did, like, did you feel the sweep did anything no okay not at all a friend of mine had had her sweep two days before and gone into labor within 24 hours so mm. I was like quietly like fingers crossed hoping this is going to work for me yeah like it worked for her so how did your labor start how how did it begin I woke up and was positive I needed a poo yeah okay like absolutely positive it was probably like mm, two or three in the morning like very early more very early hours um thought I needed a poo went back to bed very dull ache in the back in my back lower back and then to the point that I was like hmm is this contractions so I woke I woke Jack up I was like I, I think I'm in labor I like, know you're not going back to sleep but I was like no no I think I am because I've like I keep getting these pains like this very like dull ache um I thought I needed a pose like yeah you probably do and like he was like fully just dismissed in denial fact <laughs> that this may be happening finally I think because we've been told for so long that it was going to happen yeah that then we both like yeah I'm just going to be pregnant forever this is how I live now yeah like <laughs> um and I did go back to sleep, but I'd started timing my contractions because I was I was like, no, I think this is the start of something. Um, but it was it was early hours, so I was knackered, he was knackered, so I didn't kind of push for anything. No. But I kept waking up probably every half an hour because it was painful. Mm. And then it was like every 15 minutes. We got to about I woke up probably about seven o'clock properly. And and these pains, they hurt. Yeah. And I noticed I was bleeding and it was fresh, like red blood. And I was like trying to Google, like, is this a thing? Should I be worried? Am I supposed to ring someone? Like, what do I do? And I'm timing these contractions still and they're like every 10 minutes. And I ring, so I rang the MAU and because I'm high risk, they told me to for any changes. And they were like, have a bath try and relax and see if you can really zone in are you feeling any movements Mm. and he was a jiggly baby like he was constantly moving around and I hadn't I hadn't felt any movements and they were like right get in the bath and just lay there and see if you can feel him move we want you to do that for half an hour and really zone into his movements and then bring us back so I did I didn't feel one movement okay and I was the kind of pregnant where you could see my whole belly move when he moved. Mm. So I knew this wasn't happening. So I then started to panic. I'm bleeding. I'm getting these pains. I'm not feeling movements from a very moving around baby. So we went straight into the MAU. We took a hospital like bags and all the stuff, but I wasn't sure what was happening. Mm. I wasn't sure at this point. Am I having a baby? Am I in labour? And this is all normal. Um, my waters haven't broken. So I get there, they strap me up. He's moving, but he's moving every time there's a contraction. So I can't feel it. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So they like reassured me completely, but I'm still heavily bleeding. And these pains are they're getting fast. I'm still timing my contractions because they they confirmed, yes, these are contractions. You are in early labour. Mm-hmm. But they're still about six minutes apart. But because you're high risk, you've got to be checked and have 
some kind of internal investigation on this bleeding and where you're at before you can be discharged to be sent home to then come back when it's closer to the time. Yeah. We all know that maternity units don't get to move fast because there's so many other things going on. So I'm there for an hour waiting for this discharge and this kind of examination to the point that I am now doing a lot of swaying, a lot of standing up, getting mm-hmm. jacked and my back a lot. And I am it, like, I am breathing like I've seen in films. I am heaving and like, I'm not enjoying myself. Finally get the exam. And they're like, you're four centimetres dilated. You're in labour. We need you on a drip for your B-strep you need to go to the delivery suite. So I'm like, this is it. So Jack goes off and gets all the bags and everything else. And they're coming in with a, an IV and putting a cannula in and being taken up to delivery room. And I had this idea that I was going to have a water birth and all of this stuff that can't happen because I've been monitored now. So I've got to be monitored for my whole labor and I've got to have a strap on my stomach and I can't be far away from a monitor because I'd come in. And had I not come in, I could have got my water birth. And That feels really unfair. Yeah. They do have wireless monitoring that's waterproof. They just don't know. A lot of hospitals either don't know how it works. or I'm yeah. going to say that these guys pretended that they didn't, clearly. Mm. Because, yeah, it's it's August. It's now 10 or something in the morning, maybe. I don't know. I've lost track. I'm starving because I've not eaten because I've rushed to the hospital. Um, I start demanding that Jack gets me plain, plain sandwich because I can't possibly stomach anything. So I send him off on his way to get me the plainest ham sandwich <laughs> ever. I, I'm strapped up and I'm on my own. And the midwife is asking me if I want gas and air. And I'm like, yeah, I'll try it. It's pretty good, liking yeah. it. I'm in, I'm into it. Jack comes back with the sandwich. I then complain it's the driest sandwich on earth and I don't want it. <laughs> That's literally what you asked for. <laughs> he looks at me like he's going to murder me. Yeah. Reigns it in, realises that this is not about him. Yeah. <laughs> like Midwife's popping in every now and again, making sure I'm all right. She's not really in the room with me that mm. much. But probably within maybe an hour, she's like, I need to check you because we're going to have to break your waters because they're not breaking by themselves. That's insane. Yeah. Lots so, of people have... Their waters break at the very when they're pushing. Like yeah, well, the, these guys didn't want that to happen for me, so she was like, "Once you're six centimeters, we're going to break your waters." So she checks me. She's like, "You are six centimeters, so I'm going to get you to sit down, and we're going to we're going to break your waters for you." Did she and ask then, you if you wanted that? No, and I didn't even think for a second I could even say no to it. Yeah. So she shows me this crochet hook, which oh, I assume never she's... Show, never show it. Like, she's like, so this is what I'm going to use. And she's like, and once I do this, it's going to be painful afterwards. I'm like, no, no, it's already painful now. What do you, what do you mean? Yeah. She's like, trust me, once that cushioning's gone... Honestly, I just I feel like, like that is so this irresponsible. Woman, this woman was crackers. I wish I could remember her face so I could... If I ever saw her in the street, I'd be like, you are crackers. Mm. Like, you scared me. That is just immediately sending your stress hormone super high, which is what makes things more painful if we are frightened. Yeah, and I'd done no kind of, like, no prep. My own fault. I'd done no thinking about, like, hypnobirthing or any of these lovely things where I could control myself. Mm. I just went into it. 
thinking this is just a part of it it's got to happen I'm going to have a baby labor's mm. going to happen and I wasn't educated on it like and it is my own fault because I could have looked but I just didn't and I think partly that was because my my pregnancy was a bit chaos yeah like it wasn't it wasn't like my pregnancy was fine I was fine I was healthy I felt fine but like I was in and out of hospital constantly that it just felt hectic that I didn't even give myself time to think about mm. I just thought water birth I love being in water I'll have a water birth yeah. and then that was taken away from me it was just like no you can't and you're in labor so you need to be somewhere and you're on a drip and you've got to be monitored so I thought well gas and air is my only option at this point mm. and I think my, my waters must have been broken for less than 10 minutes my contractions are two minutes apart. I feel like I'm dying. I'm like, I want an epidural now. I've been up a long time already. Like, I need this. And I'm fine with medical intervention, like, whatever. I just wanted to be comfortable and safe. Like, that was my priority at that moment in time. And I wasn't comfortable. I was safe, but I was not comfortable. And I as a person I get very irritated when I'm not comfortable generally so I thought within my control if I have this epidural I will be comfortable I might be able to relax a bit yeah. because I'm not relaxed and I've not put this gas and air down since she gave it to me I've not breathed any air and you start to go a to bit me. insane don't you yeah like Jack's I, I remember Jack saying you need to put it down your eyes are rolling into the back of your head but I was breathing it in and screaming it out mm. like I was not a calm person I've asked for this epidural like I'm now I'm getting up and down definitely sure still need a poo and she's like no it's the baby bearing down I'm like no do not tell me crazy midwife lady that I don't need a poo because <laughs> I am high and I will take you <laughs> like so like <laughs> I'm making her unstrap all the monitors go into the toilet I'm too far away from my gas and air. It doesn't reach me. Mm. So I'm getting back up, I'm making Jack hold my hands. And he's like, I don't want to look at you while you're doing a poo. Do not <laughs> leave me. And then I'm going back. And she's like, if you need a poo, just poo. I'm like, no, I'm not going to poo myself. I like, I'm like, where is this person for this epidural? It must have been 10 hours since I asked. It's probably been two. Yeah, that's uh, still a long time, two hours yeah, of wanting yeah. something. And I thought that, I asked for this epidural, it's going to happen within an hour because I'm already like six, seven centimetres now mm. and she kept checking me. And at no point did I get asked if I wanted, like if I wanted to keep being checked. Mm. She just kept checking. She was like, I'm, I'm going to check how far along you are, how you're progressing. And to be fair, I was so like off my face. I didn't I didn't actually care. I'd uh, at this point ripped my cannula out of my wrist. So they were like, we need to put, you back on this drip can you just put the gas and air down for a minute and I remember just being like no they were like just swap hands I was like no and they were like you need to maybe lay on your back or because you're laying on your side with your legs closed and that's not not going to help I was like no funnily like, enough actually I, I, re I did a course recently about birth positions and um lying on your side with your legs closed is a really good position well she did not want me to be in that that position well, and I was comfortable, or as comfortable as, as I could yeah. be. I did not want to lie on my back. I did not, like, I didn't move off that bed other than going to the toilet 
since she'd broken my waters. Yeah. And I had this idea that I would either stand or be on all fours. Yeah. But I couldn't move. And I wanted to be able to move more and I wanted to be more free to kind mm. of soothe myself and I couldn't. And God bless my friend Jess, who had had her second baby probably three weeks before I'd had Ren, who had talked to me about kind of transition phases of labour and how feeling that desperation like this is never going to end and you're going to die and usually means you're really close yeah being really close and I remember she sat me and Jack down and talked us through this because she had had it with her first and no one had talked to her about it and then she'd read about it and then so she was like you need to know this because I want you to and I want Jack to know this so that when you start saying things he can he can guide you and be like no this is close now Mm -hmm. So many people enter into that and it's the most frightening part and they don't know what it is. And that is the moment where most people will deviate from the plan that they have spent Mm -hmm. so long creating because they don't realise without somebody to guide them, a partner, a well-educated, you know, supportive midwife, a doula, whatever, to be able to say, we know what this is. This is good. This is transition. Without that, it's just, of course, you just throw it all in the bin. You go, just, just cut the baby out of me I don't care you know you're in that yeah, yeah. so yeah and, and so like it had got to that point and I'd been told for quite a while like you need to stop pushing because I had apparently been pushing for quite a while and I was like I'm not yeah. actively choosing to do this my body is doing this yeah and she was like I need to check that you're fully dilated else you could you could hurt yourself this could be a problem so she checked and she was like you're pretty much fully dilated. Like, and I was like, where is this epidural? Why has this not happened? And so she, um, I mean, she was lovely. She took very good care of me, generally, but crackers, obviously. She had her way of doing it. They've put a new cannula in. I'm on a second bag of antibiotics for the possible bee strep. I'm pushing. She's telling me not to push. Impossible. Yeah, I'm just doing it. Like, my body is doing this. I am hitting that transition phase because I'm saying to Jack, like, I'm, I'm going to die. Like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I'm dying. Like, this is never going to happen. And he's, obviously, something has kicked in and he's gone, oh, yeah, remember this. And I'm asking for stuff. I'm asking for a drink. My mouth is bleeding horrifically because I've been huffing this gas and air. Mm. I've split all my lips open. I've not taken any breaths. I've not had anything to drink. I've been screaming like my throat mm. is dry. So I start drinking and then I throw up, really badly throw up. Mm. And I'm cro- I am I remember being like in tears. And then this woman going, I can see his head. It's really, really distressing in the moment. But being sick is one of the best things that a midwife or doula can see because there's a correlation between that that instinct, you know, like when you can't control it and you're, your muscles go and you are sick it's the same instinct like in reverse of like the fetal ejection reflex and yeah often while you people who are being sick will dilate quite quickly because it's like your sphincters release when you're being sick quite often um yeah so actually it's horrible in the moment but if someone's sick usually it means they're close yeah. so she's like i can see his head i'll be back in a minute and jack's like she left for a good 45 minutes <laughs> like she like I had no perception of time so I'm like 
this baby's going to be out soon because she could see his head. Like, that's cool. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I've been sick. Like, yeah, I'm all right now. Like, yeah, let's, let's do this. This hurts, but let's Did do this. Did you feel a shift in your perception, your mind game once you'd been sick, once you'd got over the other yeah. side of transition and when you knew he was imminent? Did you feel yes. like, I can do this now? Yeah, this is happening. I can do this. I am a fucking superhero. Oh, amazing. But my midwife is not in this room. And where on earth is she? Like, <laughs> like, what is happening? But I just thought, my body's doing this regardless of whether you're here or not. Yeah. And then uh, some surgeons pop in and they're like, oh, are we too late for the epidural? <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and then good old uh, midwife babe rocks back in. It was like a comedy sketch, like when they came in, the midwife that had disappeared kind of came back in around them and she was like oh yeah like I think we're about ready and I was like hello again lady (laughs) that disappeared at that time was pretty sure she was never coming back (laughs) you mean she just like abandoned posts left her job like like, my shift's over bye (laughs) yeah like I had no perception of time no like I know that I'd been at the at the hospital since about nine in the morning and it was now and it was getting dark but it wasn't dark because we're we're midsummer and 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 yeah I'd like I'd gone through that transition phase I'd been sick I felt like a, a full superhero now like and I was like I've got this and that burning sensation so you didn't actively like push push no, like there was never like you need to push, like push, like mm. my body was fully in control of that. Yeah. At no point did anyone need to guide me through what I needed to do. And that still amazes me to this day that no one needed to tell me what to do. No. Like they tried to tell me what not to do, but my body was like, no, I've got this. Yeah. Nature like, is stronger than the oh my God, like, unfortunately. It was, <laughs> yeah. And it was like, no, we've got this this is what's happening and it's going to happen now. And she, I think, I think the only time she was like one more push and he'll be here. And, and he was. And, and did you find that that took quite a, in your mind, did it feel like it took a long time to like push him out? Yeah. It felt like it took ages. It was, yeah, I think it was like 17 minutes. Oh, that's really quick. And then, and then he was here and she put him on me. And I remember just being, is he real? Is this real? And Jack being like, yeah. (laughs) And I was just, I just cried. Like full emotional release. And like, I was like. Also like it's done, like you've done it. Yeah, like instantly no pain, done. They asked me if, if if I wanted the cord to be cut straight away. And I said, no, because I'd read about kind of the benefits of, of that and then they asked Jack if he wanted to cut the cord and he was like no it looks like a finger <laughs> like I want to cut someone's finger like she cut the cord and and then he was yeah he was just there and yeah. I made Jack do skin to skin I was like take your t-shirt off <laughs> and held him and I remember looking over and some I don't know where my phone came from but I took a photo of Jack holding him yeah and then within about five seconds 
he'd done his first poo all over Jack. Oh, God. Like, oh, that's the worst. It's button. so hard to get off your skin as well. And, like, all in his belly button. And it was everywhere. And he was like, oh. <laughs> like, and at this point, they'd given me um, a vitamin K injection in my leg. Yeah. And we're like, you like you probably want your gas and air back. And we're going to tell you kind of to push to deliver this placenta. And that pro- that took longer. That took like 25 minutes, yeah, like half an hour. And I remember that being painful. But then I just remember being intrigued by the whole thing that was happening now. Like being really in the room and really present, mm-hmm. having not been very present. All wow. of a sudden, like it was like pure clarity. And I was like watching them check the placenta. And I was like fascinated by what was happening. And, and Jack was holding Ren and... Yeah, and I was just like, this is a whirlwind now. Like, I've been, like, jogged back into, like, some crazy reality and I have a baby. Whoa. (laughs) They were like, we're going to need to do some stitches. Like, like, there's some tearing. Do you want to to feed him while we do your stitches? And I remember being like, no, because I don't know what I'm doing. Like, it didn't it didn't feel like, like the right moment for you to do that no I was just a bit like no, no do I need to and they were like well no it's not like imminent and he wasn't crying and yeah. he'd been checked and he was fine and they'd like swaddled him and they put his baby hat on because we'd yeah. taken the hat you know like the necessary hat but I'm still unsure why it's so necessary it's not like, like but they were so adamant about this baby hat so and no, it's like it's it. based from what I know. It's based on a study which was done on adult men who are out in the Arctic. And funnily enough, the ones who didn't wear hats had hypothermia a lot quicker than the ones who did. So babies ergo need hats to not die of cold. <laughs> um, and actually, I mean, there's a lot of evidence to say that actually the thing that creates that beautiful bond and also helps with breastfeeding is sniffing your baby's head and that's why we sniff baby's heads like mad and and actually putting a hat on them immediately is like the worst thing you can do it's so crazy there's there's not really any reason unless your baby is actually cold like actually their body temperature is not right then fine um but there's no reason why just holding them and having a blanket on them wouldn't just keep them warm so. I mean, it was also August and probably the hottest day. <laughs> oh, <before>. yeah. <laughs> like, He's cool. He's not going to. so hot because I remember asking for a fan at the start of my labour and they were like, oh, we'll see if we can get one. I was like, get me a fan. It is too hot. Yeah. I wasn't like instantly exhausted, but there was definitely like a part of my body that was like, oh, this is rest time now. Yeah. And it took took two and a half hours to stitch me up. The shift actually changed for the midwife in between. So crazy lady that disappeared, disappeared fully. And someone else came in and took over. So she started my stitches and they had to get a surgeon to come in because she really struggled with the stitching. Okay. That bit felt quite traumatic. Then they were like, right, get up, have a shower. And I was like, what? (laughs) <laughs> like I've okay. been down this bed for hours like and I've just pushed a baby out and you've just spent two and a half hours stitching me up and now you like want me to just yeah I'll just jump out of bed <laughs> like go have a nice shower. That shower yay <laughs> and like they'd swaddled Ren and put him put him into they put a nappy on him and put him into his little bed 
mm. on wheels and I remember Jack having to come into the shower with me because I just felt really wobbly I mean he was born at quarter to seven at night and we're getting towards kind of 11 at night now and I've, I've not eaten and then they were like you should feed him now and I was like okay I had no idea what I was doing how to breastfeed how to hold him like no one was there to show me did anybody so, like, stay with you during that first feed to kind of help there you there was a woman there was a woman around and I remember asking her like is is this right and I remember it just being incredibly painful so excruciatingly painful and she was like no he looks like he's latched on fine and I just remember being like this is this is hor- this is really yeah. hurting me and they were like right you can go home and I was like I don't want to go home I'd like to be transferred to a birth centre. There's an amazing one. It's it's a good 45-minute drive, though, from the hospital we were at. And they rang and they were like, yeah, they've got a bed for you. You can go straight there. So we get in the car with a baby going to this birth centre in the middle of the night. It's like midnight. Yeah. And Jack's not allowed to stay. And there's me and one other woman there who's got twins from what I remember, and she's having a really difficult time. And these twins are crying constantly. I get there and I get into bed and they go, do you want any help with feeding? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Because I don't know what I'm doing. And this, and I, I tried to feed him at the hospital and I don't know if I fed him or should it hurt as much? Like, and they were like, it, 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 it'll be a bit painful. It'll be uncomfortable. I was like, no, no, this, this hurt, like really, really hurt. And she looked and she kind of helped me adjust kind of his latch and said like and she was she was amazing she was absolutely incredible and they they showed me how to change his nappy and make sure that like his umbilical cord and the clamp was like outside of his nappy and mm. he will do these poos and it's going to be really difficult to get off skin and you should use warm water and cotton wool and all this information and it's like the morning again like I'm yeah. nearly 24 hours after this whole experience started and Jack's not there and it's empty and dark and and you can't retain that information you need somebody else no and then I remember trying to feed him and it it being really painful but he was settled and he was fine Mm. and I remember going to sleep and waking up five hours later and we both slept for five hours Ren hadn't stirred and we woke up and I tried to feed him again toe curlingly painful Mm -hmm. and there was a woman by my side the whole time and she was like "Mm, I'm not sure that he's latching properly just let's try the other breath like I want to be able to see him from both sides and and she was amazing and she was showing me how to like unlatch him and like relatch and what it should like feel like and how much of my nipples I should see and Mm -hmm. all of this stuff and I just, I was convinced this is, I'm not doing something right here. Mm. This doesn't feel like I thought it should feel or like I've heard it would feel. And he was feeding for a long, long time. And Jack had come back and it was mid-morning and it was a Sunday. So there was no like doctors or anything around. So I couldn't have like my 24-hour check. They were like, you're going to have to go to your GP tomorrow morning. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go home. I, I just need my home comforts now. Like, and in hindsight, I, I should have stayed at the birth centre. 
but I was like, so just, I need my house. You just want to get in your own bed. bed. I potentially need to bottle feed this kid Mm. as well. Did anybody look at whether he might have a tongue tie or anything like that? No, and I was pretty sure that he had. Um, No one checked him for a tongue tie. I asked the midwife um, at like day two or whenever they come round. Yeah. Um, I'd asked the GP, but they were like, we don't really check that. We, we're just checking on you and him. Like, you can ask your midwife tomorrow. You know, so it would have been day three. So, and I've been, like, trying to feed him, and it, it was so painful. It's like, just like every every minute, let alone every hour of those first few days, goes on forever. So when somebody says, oh they'll check you on day three and if you're on day one or day two it's like I can't do this like I, I know I, that I, in normal life it's just oh it's just tomorrow but it's in in just had a baby life that's that's unbearable yeah and I had no idea what I was doing and no idea whether he was feeding and I was in pain I was crying every time he was latching on because it was so excruciating mm. and I'd reached out to friends that had breastfed and or were breastfeeding. I was like, what what do I need to be doing? Is there other whole like is there yeah. other ways I can hold him, other ways I can position him? I tried lying down on my side, I tried holding him like that kind of rugby ball kind of yeah. hold. So he was like backwards across like and my milk hadn't obviously it hadn't come through. So mm. I couldn't express. I felt useless. So I was like trying to breastfeed, but then I was I was so desperately like panicked that he wasn't getting anything. Yeah, at all I'm that... really surprised that like the midwife didn't talk you through something like a hand expression just for the first few days while you know maybe he's building up his jaw muscles and you're figuring stuff out together because a lot of people will like hand express and then even if they cup feed like that's because babies sometimes the you know people don't want to do the bottle that quickly so sometimes even on a teaspoon like is enough because their tummies are like that big um but I'm really surprised like this is this is the first I'm hearing about hand expressing yeah like this was not a thing that was said to me like at all the midwife was like the community midwife that then came out and did the house visits like home visit team I had a different person every time they just went well you've just got to persevere and I was like but am I am I doing this right and she was like yeah it looks fine and I was like but I'm really struggling yeah they're not listening to you I was in bits about it like my nipples were bleeding horrifically yeah and that isn't normal no and I was like I was in so much pain I couldn't feed in front of anyone because it just made me cry because it hurt so much so all these people coming around to visit and then I'm having to go upstairs my like I'm in pain because my stitches like it's just awful and like and I just remember getting to day five and he was throwing up blood, like spitting up blood. Yeah. And I was like, I'm done. Yeah, you've I done. Can't. And also, like, not only have you tried all the things, but you have asked and asked and asked for yeah. someone to help you, someone to assess you tongue-tie. 
you know, someone to assure you that that's normal when it's not. It's really, it's just really disappointing because like in, in this country, we have the lowest breastfeeding rate of any country in Europe and our boobs are the same. Like we don't have different boobs to people in like (laughs) other countries. We just don't have anywhere near the level of supportive people who know what they're doing. And it wasn't something I was devastated about not being able to do mm. because I'd I'd had conversations with people like, are you going to breastfeed? I was like, I'll try. Yeah. And I'd made a point of like committing to myself, like I will try, but if I can't, I need to feed my baby. Yeah. And that's it. And I say I was fine. I wasn't because I felt disappointed yeah. that I could do it and that it didn't get easier. Yeah. Like I knew it wasn't going to be easy because I know people that have struggled, but then they, they've got there and it's become easy and it's become second nature and it wasn't doing that for me. And yes, okay, it was five days and yes, I could have persevered, but I was in so much pain. I wasn't going to heal by continuing to no. breastfeed. And he was feeding for like hours at a time. Mm. Like he was latched on for over an hour and just constantly so surprised they didn't look for a tongue tie even now like I'm just like he was tongue-tied did he did he make any sort of like clicking noises when he fed it yeah real yeah that's classic tongue tie yeah it's really really hard to determine if somebody has a true tongue tie you do need a proper medical professional but extreme pain and that sort of clicking and gasping where you feel like they're taking in more air than they should yeah would be an indication of getting that checked it's just yeah, yeah. people have just it, dropped drop the ball and, and let you down on that yeah and and it is what it is and actually he it was an incredibly healthy baby like there was there was nothing wrong with that kid yeah like I know you say you weren't like devastated by it but the situation is is a bit shit like the way yeah. that it left you feeling but once you got to that point where you were just like right I'm done I've done everything I can this is how I'm going to feed my baby I've made my decision here we go did things start to feel easier yes yeah you yeah. kind of passed that mental block and you were able yeah to... yeah and he and he was feeding regularly he was sleeping well I was sleeping better like I was healing yeah and like and my milk came in and I remember it really vividly like because I was wearing kind of like pads and stuff as you do I remember going for a shower and taking my like bra off and just it being like a fire hose. Yeah, the like, shower oh, is. <laughs> oh, here it is. <laughs> like, yeah. And being like, ah. And just, I remember just being feeling engorged. It was just, it was just really bad management of me and giving me support with that. Yeah. yeah. And it's just really unfortunate that that kind of thing happens. Yeah. A lot. Uh, and I don't think it's that uncommon. People no. don't know what they're thinking. I think if it's okay, it's okay if it just sort of happens. And some people, they just, it just happens. You know, the baby just latches and that's it. It's fine. Mm. But when that's not the case, everybody should have somebody that literally sits with them and works out what's happening until they're confident and then they get sent home. I think had I stayed at the birthing centre, that would have happened for me. And I think those women would have been amazing. And in hindsight, I should have stayed there longer than like 24 hours. 
but the urge to be at home and need my sp- and get my space was yeah. stronger and I felt like in that moment I was making the be- best decision yeah. for me and him I was tired and I was sore and I had this little thing that wasn't that little because he was like eight pound ten when he was born yeah and that was big yeah <laughs> like big enough eh? <laughs> well yeah well I mean his dad was ten pound six when he was born yeah so I remember just being told all the way through my pregnancy you're gonna have a big baby his dad was big <laughs> which is not always helpful to hear <laughs> like I mean, I was six pound seven, so I was little. Yeah. So I think he balanced himself out, maybe. Yeah. Being eight pound, and he's about in the middle. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it was just yeah, the after care was terrible, and they were very much more focused, rightly so, to have a focus on it on my mental health and how I was doing in those home visits. And I'm glad because I did need support, and I wasn't feeling great. And it, but then I wasn't feeling great because I was worrying about the feeding yeah. and I didn't resolve that. Yeah. And I felt this disconnection with him because I couldn't do that. So if you were going to give some advice to somebody who's having a baby very soon um, and is maybe worried about that after care um, aspect of things and maybe not getting the support they feel like they want, is there any advice that you'd give somebody with your 2020 hindsight? <laughs> I think it would be to push for that like I let them just tell me and I knew I wasn't getting the support but I didn't feel I could say anything yeah and I think and I've listened to other people on your podcast talk about advocating for themselves much more solidly or a partner doing it and I think maybe I should have had that conversation with Jack mm. who pay- could have been my second voice and backed me up whereas he didn't really know my thoughts and feelings on it because I was feeling overwhelmed we hadn't had a discussion about that bit before he'd arrived and and he knew I was struggling with it but he didn't know the extent in which I wanted to be able to do it and therefore he didn't say anything during those visits like I should have fought it. Mm, I think it's really important as well for you to be able to say to somebody I give you my consent to advocate for me. And even just somebody knowing that you are happy for them to be your voice, it lets them feel like they can speak up a bit more. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one thing I would, I wish we'd had that conversation during Mm. my pregnancy about what I needed his role to be afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. We just never even spoke about it. It was like, we're going to have a baby and that's it. Done. Yeah. Like, let's get through this pregnancy and this is what I want for my birth. And we had all the conversations about all of these things. And we had conversations about, well, I don't think I want to see people straight away and I want to be able to make that decision. But we didn't talk about feeding. Mm. I mean, we, we did, we, like I'd said, I am happy to bottle feed, Mm. but I would like to breastfeed if I can, but we didn't then talk about if I can't breastfeed, how do we get that support? Mm. It was just really tricky though, because you don't know, what you don't know before no but one of the things that I say and I've said it like a million times and I will always say it is if you think that breastfeeding is something that you want to do then to make contact with either a breastfeeding support group or a breastfeeding consultant before you have your baby and to book in an hour or two of their time when you're pregnant 
or yeah. ask a fr- friends or family say look I don't want any clothes for the baby I would like you to pay for a session for me to sit with a breastfeeding consultant and oh, then yeah you- that would have been incredible and then it's like you've got that number there before you're in that crisis moment of oh my god you know I can't do this this is awful you've already made contact with that person you know they're coming over they're there to support you and then if it still doesn't work out then that's fine but it's like you don't end up in that panic moment of what do I do who do I call well that's the thing like I didn't I had no clue I still don't to this day know about anything in this local in my local area about where I would have gone for that support but at no point did someone say oh there's this you can ring this number there's this group online nothing and we're not very well connected in, in this. No, and um, I did, but I hadn't even thought about researching that because mm. I just, it was a given, I will feed my baby. We'd got ourselves a prep machine, you know, the magical little baby coffee machine that makes all your milk for you in seconds. Yeah. And I'm glad for that. Um, but had I not had that and then I couldn't have done it. That's sheer panic, isn't it? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. Right, someone needs to go out and get bottles yeah. and this, that, and the other. And I'd prepared for the eventuality, mm. and maybe that was a psychological thing that I'd prepared for the fact mm. that I might not be able to. So I went, oh, I can't. Yeah, I know that some I, breast breastfeeding consultants do say don't buy anything for bottle feeding yeah. until you need to, because if you really need to, there there will be a twenty four hour Tesco somewhere. You Ooh, know, yeah, exactly. But I do, but I understand. Um, you know just having stuff prepared but I think that's really that's really good advice I think just having that conversation and having a vague kind of idea of the support that you can access before you get to the point where you need it well thank you very very much for sharing your story with me it's been absolutely brilliant thank you for having me oh you're so welcome nice to chat about it yeah it's great isn't it thank you so much Emma for sharing your story and for making it such fun along the way I know that Emma's experience, particularly with trying to get pregnant and then having to have a cervical stitch, will be so helpful to many people. And I really hope that this episode can be reassuring and comforting to anyone else who might need to have this procedure done. I also just really love the way that Emma speaks about her students and, you know, just young adults and teenagers in general. I truly believe that we should talk about birth, not just with our adult friends, but with children and teenagers too. They just get such a bad rap these days. And I think the more hidden away birth is from all people of all ages, the more abstract and scary it can seem, particularly to a teenager or young person. So just mega well done, you, Emma, for just being the voice these kids need and being open and honest about how it really is that is all from me this week thank you again for joining me for another season if you like what you heard today you could share this episode or any of them with a friend you could follow me on instagram or facebook i am the real birth podcast you could rate and review or subscribe to my show on your podcast platform or if you're feeling particularly generous you could buy me a coffee the link to do this is in my instagram bio um, and it just keeps me going and is really appreciated i am sending you all the love thank you very much and i look look forward to sharing another amazing birth story with you next Wednesday. Bye!